Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. And you're listening to Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. And this episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio today is my reliable colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred. Hello, Greg. Great to get back going this year and uh, looking forward to today's guest. Yeah, we did uh, quite a bit of work over at Hims uh, uh, not too long ago. So yeah, we're back in the seat here at Pop Health Week now. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management and the advisory board of Care Innovations Validation Institute. He is past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance. Fred is known on Twitter as at FS Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, healthinnovationmedia.com, and precisionmedicine.center. If you're in the market for digital media content development, curation, and engagement for your hospital health system or physician venture, do ping me on Twitter by at2healthguru or Greg with two Gs at healthinnovationmedia.com. And now for today's special guest, Trey Cockerell, M-A-S-P-H-R, who is leading Humana's Bold Goal Initiative. There is a growing interest in programs targeting communities around the country. Humana, the national health insurer, has launched several of these initiatives. Humana's simple but lofty goal is to raise the health of the communities they serve by 20% by 2020. My colleague Fred has been involved with the Bold Gold launch in Jacksonville, Florida, which began last fall, and can comment as an outsider, if you will. Trey Cockrell joined Humana in 2001 in Human Resources, leading employee relations, then expanding his accountability in 2002 to include being HR business leader for all corporate functions, including the offices of the CEO and chairman of the board. Trey transitioned into a new role leading internal communications for the organization and partnering to design new benefit strategies and communications for Humana's associate population. Subsequently, Trey was asked to join Humana's Consumer Innovation and Marketing Office as its chief of staff, where he played a strategic and integrative leadership role, led a business optimization team, and was instrumental in the front end of innovation, working with startups, health accelerators, and other potential innovation partners. Trey is a graduate of Tulane University in New Orleans, 
where he earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in English and History. He was captain of the varsity golf team, academic All-American, and president of his fraternity. He also received a master's degree in English literature from the University of Kansas, where he taught English for two years. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Trey and the Humana Bold Goal Initiative. Thanks so much, Greg. And Trey, thanks a lot for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. I'm humbled to be on the call with you guys. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show this week, and thanks for those kind comments. Um, I think the last time I saw you, you were actually here in Jacksonville for the first uh, actual work meeting of the Bold Goal program. Yeah, that's right. We were uh, really excited to launch in Jacksonville. It's our eighth community, and to be down there with you and your colleagues and see this work really get underway, this this form of integrating the work across some of the things that are already going on in Jacksonville was just fantastic. We had a great turnout and lots of fantastic support there. So I've sort of gotten this insider view as an outsider of, of the program as you've launched it here in Jacksonville, but let's start sort of back at the beginning. Why did Humana as a health plan decide to do some of these community programs? You know, our, our CEO a couple of years ago announced this bold goal to make the communities we serve 20% healthier by 2020. And I think he really had a vision to say, if we can improve health outcomes and get people to participate in programs that, that improve their overall health, that's going to lower costs. And if we can lower costs, we can keep premiums stable. If we can do that, we can get more health care to more people. So it was a, a business decision for him. But the good news about this is it also is something that is really good for the communities in which we work. So it has a double benefit. And I think his foresight and really being a health and well-being company that, that we are, to think about how do we bring health to these communities and how do we work with the, the folks that are already there doing great work to improve health outcomes is a, is a real strength of ours. So we've, we've been on this journey for about three years now. We started in San Antonio and I'm actually in San Antonio today. We had a health advisory board meeting here and had a great turnout to talk about some of the successes and accomplishments here. And so we started here and we've, we've convened a number of folks to come together and, and understand what the barriers to health are in, in this community, just as we did in Jacksonville, and really to focus in on the, the key two or three things that we can bring the resources to bear on to help improve health outcomes and get the city 20% healthier by 2020. So you talked a little bit, you mentioned in what you just said about convening, about picking two or three things. So how does the process work? What happens when Humana comes in and wants to uh, launch a bold goal initiative in a, in a community? Yeah, the first thing we do is what we call discovery. And for us, it's, it's going in and doing a lot of listening, asking a lot of questions, really understanding some data about the, our members, because in each one of these communities, we do have a, a member population, folks who actually have our insurance. And we also want to understand what's going on in the community. So we look at data from all different kinds of sources, from Robert Wood Johnson, from uh, social determinants of health, and any kind of data that we can pull to really understand a, a market or community much more thoroughly. We go on a listening journey. We talk to people, and every time we talk to them, we ask, who else should we be talking to? And really want to get a good picture of, of what's happening in the community from health and, and what are the things that are going on to impact that the health outcomes in the community and figure out how we can help play a role. And we see our role very much as a, as a convener and as a collaborator and, and a way to, to bring some of the things that are working already together and to maybe start some new things that aren't working yet. So there are certain communities that have you know, a lot of things going on, others have less going on. And so we found our role really to be one that is, is in those two realms, either to, to bring people together to, to focus on something bigger or to find a way that we can do the right things that help that community get, get healthier. 
So you, you talk about this role as a convener, and I know in Jacksonville there were close to maybe 200 people at that very first meeting last fall um, from, from a full spectrum of, of folks in the community, not-for-profits, hospitals, and other organizations. Um, but you sort of mentioned it, but could you sort of talk about it? You convene, but you don't really drive this, right? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both, but we think of ourselves somewhat as a backbone organization, but much more as a convener. We want to get people in the room to have a conversation. And, and you're right, the, the signature event that we have is to kick this off as a clinical town hall, and we try to have those in, in the communities every single year. And when we first started that in San Antonio, I'll just give you a great example. We had, I think it was six different groups who were focused on diabetes, and to some degree they compete with one another. And to a very large degree, they never really talk about the work that they're doing or share their missions or visions for the outcomes they're trying to create. So we had them all in a, in a room at the same time, and they kind of looked at each other and said, gosh, you know, we ought to be talking. And that group has now met about every two weeks for the last two and a half years. And in fact, they just announced today they're ready to launch a, a diabetes resource guide for the community of San Antonio that brings together all of the resources that are available for folks who are struggling with diabetes into one place and makes it easy for them to find those resources that can help improve their health. So we do see ourselves as that kind of convener to bring people together to have the conversation. And then we also want to include our, our physician partners that we have in communities and, and bring them to the conversation as well. And that was also a learning out of the, the clinical town halls that we've had, and particularly the first one that we had here in San Antonio. We heard from nonprofits say, gosh, you know, we, we really don't have access to physicians. To get their ear is very difficult. So this has been a great way for us to do that. And we heard from physicians who said, wow, we have no clue what nonprofit organizations really do in this community. So to be able to have access to them and have this kind of dialogue is really a game changer. And it's, it's a bridge between those two very disparate parts of the community that are both focused on health outcomes in very different ways. That's, that's a fantastic talk about the di one, the diabetes groups obviously connecting because there is a fair amount of competition as well as connecting with the physicians. And I sort of want to just mention this briefly. I talked about don't not driving the process. And by that, I didn't mean um, I, what I meant is you, you get the process and service that backbone and make it go. But the decision on what they want to do in the community and the areas they want to focus on, as I saw here in Jacksonville, is driven to a large extent by the individuals in the room who say, we want to pick these topics and go after them in this way. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely correct. Very true. We, again, when we start that discovery process, we want to listen. And we want to understand where we can bring resources to bear to help support those communities and the efforts that are either already ongoing or in things that they see are, are gaps that are not getting dealt with. So it very much is the community's agenda. Now, one of the things we also know is that the, the biggest lever we have to pull is with our member population. So in a community like a San Antonio, you know, we have several hundred thousand Humana card carrying members and we have access to their data. We have access to programs and services that help improve their health. And they're a bit more of a, of a contained group of folks that we can look at, measure, survey. Uh, but again, we really want this to be a community effort that impacts every citizen and every community that we're working in. Yeah, fantastic. And you talk about the diabetes. I also know that this month is National Nutrition Month and a lot of activities going on, on around that. And we've begun to recognize, particularly in the population health, and the community-based areas, that there are these issues of food insecurity and food deserts and, and things like that. And I know or have heard that a number of your communities have focused on that. Can you talk a little bit about that work? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we really have tried to narrow our focus quite a bit. And, and the data, again, tells us that uh, diabetes, behavioral health uh, are both 
primary conditions in, in every one of our markets. And then food insecurity is, is something that has shown up in every market as well. We know that there are a lot of folks who, who struggle finding enough food to eat. And so we've done several different things in, in each one of these communities, and we're trying to expand the work that we're doing. In fact, one of the things we really want to do is, is test and learn, take a, a pilot from one market and then be able to expand it and grow it in other markets. So with food insecurity and finding out that it was such a, a big issue in, in every community, we've done a lot of work and, and established partnerships with food banks. Uh, we have a national partnership with Feeding America. And the things we're trying to do with those groups is, is really expand the reach of what food banks do in communities on, on one hand. And so to do that, we've uh, leveraged some of our clinics and our clinic partners, uh, some of the clinics that we own and some that we're partners with, uh, some that we're alliance uh, or have an alliance partnership with. And we're actually distributing food bank food out of those clinics to folks in the community. So they become a distribution point uh, to ease the burden of travel. It's sometimes difficult for folks to get to a food bank to pick up food when they're in need. We've also, in addition to that, had a, a pilot where we went into uh, some clinics in South Florida and actually did food insecurity screening. So we went in and we asked patients two questions. And so it was really two questions based on, um, um, I can't remember where, where the questions came from, but essentially it says, when the, within the past 12 months, were you worried that your food would run out before you got money to buy more? And the, op the options for answering were often true, sometimes true, and never true. And the second question was, within the past 12 months, the food that we bought just didn't last and we didn't have enough money to get more. Same options for answering. We expected to have about 15 to 20 percent of our folks answer affirmatively to that. That's, that's what the data told us, that we would expect food insecurity to be about 17 percent of those folks that we survey, people who are over 60 generally. Uh, we know nationally that about one in eight or, or 42 million people are food insecure. Uh, unfortunately, in the population that we surveyed, and it was about, I think, close to 500 uh, of our members that came through those offices, actually just patients that came to the offices, not our members, uh, and the physicians that did the food insecurity screening, we found that almost 50% of those patients screened food insecure. So the challenge there is once you find that out, and this is part of what our, our physicians deal with every day, once you have that information, what do you do with it? So we put a process into place where we brought food bank representatives into the clinic. We had a emergency food resources there for them so they could actually leave with a box of food if they need it. And we found that, that most of the folks actually did avail themselves of that service to talk to someone about food insecurity and to take home a box of food. But then we also had them uh, had resources available to help them roll and snap and wick benefits to make sure that we could help deal with the problem in, a, in the longer term, not just immediately. So that's proven to be a very successful pilot for us. We do know that food insecurity has a, a big impact on, on healthy days, which is how we're, we're measuring the bowl goal, and we can talk about that in a minute. But working on food insecurity, getting physicians a very simple way to screen for it, and then a, a place to send someone to go and, and resolve the problem, at least in the short term, uh, is the goal. And then on the other hand, we're looking at a longer term solution. We've worked with uh, Feeding South Florida, or Feeding Tampa Bay, sorry, in the Tampa Bay area. And Thomas Mance and David Himmelgreen have had a vision to work on a hunger action alliance in that community. And so we've partnered with them. And the mission of that is really to figure out how do we end hunger uh, in general. Uh, Thomas, uh, I don't want to spend too much time quoting him, but he's famous for saying, food banks do a great job. We deliver 5 billion meals to people every year. And that's fantastic work, but it's like shoveling sand at the tide. We're never going to solve the problem. We have to find a way to end hunger in this country, and that's what the Hunger Action Alliance is setting out to do 
uh, in Tampa Bay. And again, we hope to to screen all of this, I mean, to scale all this work across multiple markets so that we can have an impact on food insecurity across the country. That's that's really pretty impressive. And um, one thing that I, that I picked up on and I hadn't really thought about and hasn't been discussed yet here in Jacksonville, obviously, we're just launching this, but you actually took some social determinants of health data, walked that screening tool into the clinical practice, and you now have doctors involved in fixing those issues that we know are so important for health, but for a long time have been considered sort of outside the realm of the care system. So what's the response been from the doctors with that? Yeah, it's, we, we learned a couple things. One, we definitely wanted to make that linkage you just described. And we also know that doctors say, hey, I've, I've got 15, 20 minutes with a patient. I don't have time to do anything else. So we had to make it very simple. So two questions, as I mentioned earlier, we integrated those into the EMR. It takes a doctor 20, 30 seconds to ask those questions and determine if someone's food insecure or not. So their response has been very, very positive. Uh, in fact, the, the leaders in that, that organization have said they want to scale this to other markets, I mean, to other uh, clinics in their market, and to figure out how we you know, fund resources, get more food into more clinics, and reach more people to deal with food insecurity. So very positive reception from physicians and from the community partners that we're working with and, and from our internal leadership as well. We just know that, that dealing with that particular social determinant of health has such a huge impact on, on the health and the health outcomes of people that if we can deal with that, then we think we're going to have a, a much bigger impact uh, further upstream on, on how folks are dealing with their health. Fantastic. That's just a great example of looking at a problem, figuring out some way to work it through the healthcare system, and then actually providing a solution in the, within the problem by having the food there available to be taken home. Obviously, a number of these patients, I assume, are elderly. Some may have diabetes or other conditions. Diet's an important part of that. And um, so need to hear about it. And are you going to take, I assume, models like that and then say, hey, we now know this approach works. We've tested it. Let's move this to another community. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. We, we want to figure out what are the things that work and, and scale them as quickly as we can and take those things that are not working and either tweak them or you know, abandon them and do something different. So we want to find those, those things that we can take to multiple communities. We do know that it's you know, one Bogle community is, is not exactly the same as another. So it's, you can't often just pick something up and set it in a market and have it be successful. But we do think something like this with the very simple food food insecurity screening is, is something that just about anybody can do. And then finding a place to, to get people to resources that can help them is also fairly simple. So this is one that we think we can scale across a bunch of communities. And we're trying to do the same thing with, uh, with other pilots that we work on as well, is trying to figure out how we get those that are the most impactful that we can utilize in multiple communities. It's, it, you know, it's interesting because I could even see something like that. You've obviously added through your clinics, a, as you talked about, a number of extra distribution points, you know, identification, assessment, stratification, distribution points for these issues. And I could see now, well, gosh, could we move some of that into pharmacies? Could we move some of that even broader and just create a, 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 a larger net in essence? So really, really fascinating. You mentioned also a, a little bit about outcomes. And, I, and obviously, you know, a lot of people do a lot of things, but at the end of the day, you got to get some outcomes. So what, what have you seen from these programs or some of the outcomes you've got? 
Yeah, it's, it's still early days, but we've just now set a, a baseline for our healthy days measure. So I'll, I'll talk a minute about that. We, we adopted, you know, when we first started this, everybody said, how are you going to measure 20% by 2020? And we landed on the CDC's healthy days measure. And it's, it's four questions. We focus on two of those. And it really asks people in the last 30 days, how many days have you physically not been, been well? And how many days in the last 30 have you mentally not been well? And we add those days up and come up with a number of unhealthy days per month, and that's the reduction we want to make. So we know that across the country it's 11-plus days is our unhealthy days number, and we want to get that down by 20% by the end of 2020. Uh, we'd set a baseline in 2015 in each one of our BOLGO communities, and we've seen some progress across uh, almost all the markets. We actually had one community that, that their healthy days, unhealthy days went up slightly, uh, but they're starting from a much lower baseline than the other communities. But the other six communities we're working in, uh, the, the numbers I have actually gone down, uh, in some cases more than others. But we're still doing some final analysis on that, and we'll put it out in a progress report that we'll have to uh, on our Bowl Goal website, which you can access at humana.com slash goal. And we'll have a progress report out there by the end of March that everybody can access and see the actual data and, and how we've moved the needle in the last year. Yeah, and as you said, obviously some of these programs are relatively new. None of them are, I guess, older than a few years, really. And so, you know, as with any population health program, you've got leading indicators and lagging indicators, and, and moving a number like that does take some time. So it'll be interesting to watch that over the years as each of these reports comes out. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It, it does take time, and, and that's been one of the, the things that we've also learned on this journey. You know, as we, as we think about collective impact and bringing a bunch of groups together in a, in a community, and I think you've seen this yourself, you know, different things work and some things don't work. The, the real challenge is how do you get people to keep coming to the table and stay invested and stay engaged uh, and not, not get to you know, coalition fatigue, which, which can really happen. And so we fight hard against that, and we do a lot of things that we can to, to give back to communities in ways of, of learning and, and teaching folks other things about population health and, and things like collective impact, things they may not know, and bringing resources to the community to help them grow and develop their competency, enable them to make a broader impact as well. So we do know it's going to take time, and we also know that you know, 2017 for us is a, a pretty pivotal year to, to get more success and to scale more things more broadly, things like the food insecurity pilot and other things we've seen tied into behavioral health and, and other areas that we're focused on. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you sort of mentioned it, but could you touch on that a little bit more? Because it really is, over time, it is about sustained engagement of that coalition. And I know here in Jacksonville, there's an individual, Paul, who, who works on that all the time and is out in the community and meeting with a lot of people and, and, and sort of spearheading this and keeping the energy level up. Is that how you do it in each of the communities? Or are you trying some different models with that? No, we, that is the model we have in each community, and we, we think that works pretty well. And In fact, this week has kind of been a, a somewhat of a watershed week for us. We have a, uh, Last week, we had a health advisory board meeting in Broward County, South Florida, which is one of our Bolgo communities. Uh, today, we had meetings in Louisville, Knoxville, and San Antonio. Tomorrow, we have one in, in New Orleans. So each one of these communities, uh, and I should add the other ones that are in there, Baton Rouge uh, is another one, and then uh, Tampa Bay is, is the seventh of our seven communities. Uh, so each one of them has the, the same model of having a, an internal board of directors. So we convene all our internal leaders to talk about how do, how do we want to bring resources internally to bear, uh, resources being people, time, volunteers, uh, you know, dollars that we give in markets as well, uh, how we align uh, the, the people that we have in, our, in each community to help support the work, but then also the role that we play in, in convening the community. 
And the, the community convening is called the Health Advisory Board. That's what we just launched in Jacksonville. And at the meetings that we had in the other markets I referenced today and, and early last week and tomorrow. And it's that, that convening, getting those folks to come together to the table to continue the conversation. And, and again, we're, we're focused on things that they tell us are important. It's not something that we make up and not our agenda. We, we're very clear we want this to be their agenda, that we want to provide some infrastructure and support to, to help them either convene the right folks, get more people to the table. And so we've done that by, by putting a, what we call an integration leader in each market, and that's Paul Sapia in Jacksonville. And they just do a wonderful job of, of doing the important things, building relationships, establishing trust that what we're doing is important and that we're going to be there as a resource to help through this whole process. Uh, when we first came to San Antonio, somebody stood up and said, yeah, you're here this year. You're going to create a big marketing splash, Humana, but you're going to be gone next year. And we were really happy to tell them in year two, hey, we're back. And in year three, we're back again, and we're still here. And, and in fact, we're in more markets and more communities. And, and we do invest by having a, an integration leader in each one of these markets and, and communities that builds relationships, builds trust, helps create behavior change, and, and really starting to create those health outcomes in these partnerships. Yeah, and I know here you've got obviously Paul involved, but also your regional presidents involved, your business development folks are involved. So you are making a commitment of staff time and and some resources to get this going. Uh, getting to the issue of you, we, you know, food insecurity was done in some of the communities. I think here in Jacksonville, the focus that the community chose was mental health and diabetes. Obviously, two big issues. Are those sort of the ones you're seeing the communities choose, or are there some other areas that some of them have chosen to work on? Yeah, those two have really come up as, as sort of foundational in every market. Diabetes and obesity are so prevalent. We know that how the bad statistics are. I don't have to requote those. Uh, same thing with behavioral health. It's, it's rising much more to a level that people are starting to notice, and there's more and more solutions coming out to be able to support behavioral health needs in each one of these communities. And so those, those two are our primary focus. But in places like Louisville, Kentucky, which is our, our headquarter hometown, uh, we have really, really bad air quality. We sit in the Ohio Valley, and it just traps pollutants, and it traps pollens, and uh, a lot of problems with asthma and, and upper respiratory disease. So they focused on Breathe Easy, or upper respiratory health, and have, have gone through some pilots with uh, you know, different organizations, including Propeller Health and uh, Air Louisville and Trees Louisville, and folks who are focused on improving the air quality in the community and have actually seen some, some improvement. So there's, there's again, small, small pilots, but we're seeing uh, improvements there as well. So each one of these communities picks what their focus area ought to be, what's really driving uh, the, the poorest health in the community, and diabetes, behavioral health tend to rise to the top everywhere, but other things like, like air quality, uh, congestive heart failure, in some places COPD, hypertension, uh, are things that also rise to the top of the queue. That's great. And I know, you know, here in Jacksonville and with my background, having spent time in the behavioral health world for years in, in the hospital business and then also developing chronic care management programs, it was nice to see the openness of the community and the recognition this really does need to have some paid attention. And the thing that really stunned me the most at the last meeting we had was when they brought up this concept of, you know, training people to be um, to understand uh, psychiatric conditions and how to work with people and and uh, in, and emergency kind of things like that. And there's a training program for it. And suddenly the goal was everybody in that room is going to go through the training because we also we want to get 10,000 people out of it. So it already started to make a difference um, in, in moving forward here in Jacksonville and creating a better environment for people. That was pretty impressive. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, that was an impressive response from that group uh, during that meeting. And they've all, I think they've already had 30 or 40 people go through the mental health first aid training and their commitment to 10,000 is, is just incredible. And we've seen other communities do similar kinds of things. Uh, in Louisville, just to quote one more thing about them, they have a, a a higher incidence of suicide in that community versus the national average. And so they've taken on a mission of zero suicides in their behavioral health subcommittee. And they, you know, when you get to zero, that's, that's pretty aspirational. And can we really get there? Who knows? But uh, they said to try to get something, anything less than zero is, is not aspirational enough. So they wanted to be really bold. And that's what we've seen these, these communities do is, is step out and say, we're going to set some bold goals. We're going to try to do something really different and, and break the mold here and see if we can't really improve health in this community, knowing it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time and not be uh, real easy. But if it were easy, you know, anybody could do it and it'd already be done. That's so true. Well, well, thanks a lot, uh, Trey, for joining us. And again, where can people go to get some more information? You should go to humana.com slash bold goal. They can learn all about what we're doing in all of our communities, and we'll have a new progress report out there uh, by the end of March. Well, fantastic. Great to have you on the show this week, and looking forward to doing some work here in Jacksonville with the Bold Goal team. Thanks. Greg, you over to you. Thank you. Thanks for your help. And there you have it. That'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guest, Trey Cockrell, for his time and insights today. And might I add a big shout out to Humana for its investment in their members and the communities they serve. That's a big bravo. One would think the Blues would be the leading edge of this sphere. It's good to see the commercials putting walking the talk, if you will, of population health. Bravo. So do follow Humana's work to impact population health by www.humana.com forward slash bold goal. And until we meet again on Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters. Spring, it's finally here. Time to grab your tackle bag, get back on the water, and into the fish. Cabela's Spring Great Outdoor Days. Family events, amazing deals. Your one stop before the water. Get 30% off all in-stock Cabela's rods, reels, and fishing line. And 25% off Berkeley plastics and dough baits. Plus, find more great deals like $100 off new Vortex Viper HD binos. Don't miss out. Shop in-store or online at cabelas.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.